section four of the chouan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two one of fouche's ideas part one one morning towards the end of brumaire just as hulot was exercising his brigade now by order of his superiors wholly concentrated at mayon a courier arrived from alencon with dispatches at the reading of which his face betrayed extreme annoyance forward then he cried in an angry tone sticking the papers into the crown of his hat two companies will march with me towards mortagne the chouans are there you will accompany me he said to merle and gerard maybe i created a nobleman if i can understand one word of that dispatch perhaps i'm a fool well anyhow forward march there's no time to lose commandant by your leave said merle kicking the cover of the ministerial dispatch with the toe of his boot what is there so exasperating in that god's thunder nothing at all except that we are fooled when the commandant gave vent to this military oath an object it must be said of republican atheistical remonstrance he gave warning of a storm the diverse intonations of the words were degrees of a thermometer by which the brigade could judge of the patience of its commander the old soldier's frankness of nature had made this knowledge so easy that the various little drummer-boy knew his hulot by heart simply by observing the variations of the grimace with which the commander screwed up his cheek and snapped his eyes and vented his oath on this occasion the tone of smothered rage with which he uttered the words made his two friends silent and circumspect even the pits of the smallpox which dented that veteran face seemed deeper and the skin itself browner than usual his broad queue braided at the edges had fallen upon one of his epaulettes as he replaced his three-cornered hat and he flung it back with such fury that the ends became untied however as he stood stock still his hands clenched his arms crossed tightly over his breast his moustache bristling gerard ventured to ask him presently are we to start at once yes if the men have ammunition they have shoulder arms left wheel forward march cried gerard at a sign from the commandant the drum corps marched at the head of the two companies designated by gerard at the first roll of the drums the commandant who still stood plunged in thought seemed to rouse himself and he left the town accompanied by his two officers to whom he said not a word merle and gerard looked at each other silently as if to ask how long is he going to keep us in suspense and as they marched they cautiously kept an observing eye on their leader who continued to vent rambling words between his teeth 
several times these vague phrases sounded like oaths in the ears of his soldiers but not one of them dared to utter a word for they all when occasion demanded maintained the stern discipline to which the veterans who had served under bonaparte in italy were accustomed the greater part of them had belonged like hulot to the famous battalions which capitulated at mayon under a promise not to serve again on the frontier and the army called them les mayonquais it would be difficult to find leaders and men who more thoroughly understood each other at dawn of the day after their departure hulot and his troop were on the high road to alencon about three miles from that town towards mauritania at a part of the road which leads through pastures watered by the sarthe a picturesque vista of these meadows lay to the left while the woodlands on the right which flanked the road and joined the great forest of serve as a foil to the delightful aspect of the river scenery the narrow causeway is bordered on each side by ditches the soil of which being constantly thrown out upon the fields has formed high banks covered with firs the name given throughout the west to this prickly gorse this shrub which spreads itself in thorny masses makes excellent fodder in winter for horses and cattle but as long as it was not cut the chouan hid themselves behind its breastwork of dull green these banks bristling with gorse signifying to travellers their approach to brittany made this part of the road at the period of which we write as dangerous as it was beautiful it was these dangers which compelled the hasty departure of hulot and his soldiers and it was here that he at last let out the secret of his wrath he was now on his return escorting an old mail-coach drawn by post-horses which the weariness of his soldiers after their forced march was compelling to advance at a snail's pace the company of blues from the garrison at mortagne who had escorted the rickety vehicle to the limits of their district where hulot and his men had met them could be seen in the distance on their way back to their quarters like so many black specks one of hulot's companies was in the rear the other in advance of the carriage the commandant who was marching with merle and gerard between the advance guard and the carriage suddenly growled out ten thousand thunders would you believe that the general detached us from mayon to escort two petticoats but commandant remarked gerard when we came up just now and took charge i observed that you bowed to them not ungraciously ha that's the infamy of it those dandies in paris ordered the greatest attention paid to their damned females how dare they dishonour good and brave patriots by trailing us after petticoats as for me i march straight and i don't choose to have to do with other people's zigzags when i saw danton taking mistresses and barras too i said to them citizens when the republic called you to govern it was not that you might authorize the vices of the old regime you may tell me that women oh yes we must have women that's all right good soldiers of course must have women and good women 
but in times of danger no besides where would be the good of sweeping away the old abuses if patriots bring them back again look at the first consul there's a man no women for him always about his business i'd bet my left moustache that he doesn't know the fool's errand we've been sent on but commandant said merle laughing i have seen the tip end of the nose of the young lady and i'll declare the whole world needn't be ashamed to feel an itch as i do to revolve around that carriage and get up a bit of conversation look out merle said gerard the veiled beauties have a man accompanying them who seems wily enough to catch you in a trap who that incroyable whose little eyes are ferreting from one side of the road to the other as if he saw chouan the fellow seems to have no legs the moment his horse is hidden by the carriage he looks like a duck with its head sticking out of a pate if that booby can hinder me from kissing the pretty linnet duck linnet oh my poor merle you have taken wings indeed but don't trust the duck his green eyes are as treacherous as the eyes of a snake and as sly as those of a woman who forgives her husband i distrust the chouan much less than i do those lawyers whose faces are like bottles of lemonade pooh cried merle gaily i'll risk it with the commandant's permission that woman has eyes like stars and it's worth playing any stakes to see them caught poor fellow said gerard to the commandant he is beginning to talk nonsense hulot made a face shrugged his shoulders and said before he swallows the soup i advise him to smell it bravo merle said gerard judging by his friend's lagging step that he meant to let the carriage overtake him isn't he a happy fellow he is the only man i know who can laugh over the death of a comrade without being thought unfeeling he's the true french soldier said hulot in a grave tone just look at him pulling his epaulets back to his shoulders to show he is a captain cried gerard laughing as if his rank mattered the coach toward which the officer was pivoting did in fact contain two women one of whom seemed to be the servant of the other such women always run in couples said hulot a lean and sharp-looking little man ambled his horse sometimes before sometimes behind the carriage but though he was evidently accompanying these privileged women no one had yet seen him speak to them this silence a proof either of respect or contempt as the case might be the quantity of baggage belonging to the lady whom the commandant sneeringly called the princess everything even to the clothes of her attendant squire stirred hulot's bile the dress of the unknown man was a good specimen of the fashions of the day then being caricatured as incroyable unbelievable unless seen imagine a person trussed up in a coat the front of which was so short that five or six inches of the waistcoat came below it while the skirts were so long that they hung down behind like the tail of a cod the term then used to describe them an enormous cravat was wound about his neck in so many folds that the little head 
which protruded from that muslin labyrinth certainly did justify captain murrell's comparison the stranger also wore tight-fitting trousers and suwarof boots a huge blue and white cameo pinned his shirt two watch-chains hung from his belt his hair worn in ringlets on each side of his face concealed nearly the whole forehead and for a last adornment the collar of his shirt and that of his coat came so high that his head seemed enveloped like a bunch of flowers in a horn of paper add to these queer accessories which were combined in utter want of harmony the burlesque contradictions in colour of yellow trousers scarlet waistcoat cinnamon coat and a correct idea would be gained of the supreme good taste which all dandies blindly obeyed in the first years of the consulate this costume utterly uncouth seemed to have been invented as a final test of grace and to show that there was nothing too ridiculous for fashion to consecrate the writer seemed to be about thirty years old but he was really twenty-two perhaps he owed this appearance of age to debauchery possibly to the perils of the period in spite of his preposterous dress he had a certain elegance of manner which proved him to be a man of some breeding when the captain had dropped back close to the carriage the dandy seemed to fathom his design and favoured it by checking his horse merle who had flung him a sardonic glance encountered one of those impenetrable faces trained by the vicissitudes of a revolution to hide all even the most insignificant emotion the moment the curved end of the old triangular hat and the captain's epaulets were seen by the occupants of the carriage a voice of angelic sweetness said monsieur l'officier will you have the kindness to tell us at what part of the road we now are there is some inexpressible charm in the question of an unknown traveller if a woman a world of adventure is in every word but if the woman asks for assistance or information proving her weakness or ignorance of certain things every man is inclined to construct some impossible tale which shall lead to his happiness the words monsieur l'officier and the polite tone of the question stirred the captain's heart in a manner hitherto unknown to him he tried to examine the lady but was cruelly disappointed for a jealous veil concealed her features he could barely see her eyes which shone through the gauze like onyx gleaming in the sunshine you are now three miles from alencon madame he replied alencon already and the lady threw herself or rather she gently leaned back in the carriage and said no more alencon said the other woman apparently waking up then you'll see it again she caught sight of the captain and was silent merle disappointed in his hope of seeing the face of the beautiful incognita began to examine that of her companion she was a girl about twenty-six years of age fair with a pretty figure and the sort of complexion fresh and white and well fed which characterizes the women of valogne and the environs of alencon her blue eyes showed no great intelligence but a certain firmness mingled with tender feeling she wore a gown of some common woollen stuff 
the fashion of her hair done up closely under a norman cap without any pretension gave a charming simplicity to her face her attitude without of course having any of the conventional nobility of society was not without the natural dignity of a modest young girl who can look back upon her past life without a single cause for repentance merle knew her at a glance for one of those wild flowers which are sometimes taken from their native fields to parisian hothouses where so many blasting rays are concentrated without ever losing the purity of their colour or their rustic simplicity the naive attitude of the girl and her modest glance showed merle very plainly that she did not wish a listener in fact no sooner had he withdrawn than the two women began a conversation in so low a tone that only a murmur of it reached his ear you came away in such a hurry said the country girl that you hardly took time to dress a pretty-looking sight you are now if we are going beyond alencon you must really make your toilet oh oh francine cried the lady what is it this is the third time you have tried to make me tell you the reasons for this journey and where we are going have i said one single word which deserves that reproach oh i've noticed your manoeuvring simple and truthful as you are you have learned a little cunning from me you are beginning to hold questioning in horror and right enough too for of all the known ways of getting at a secret questions are to my mind the silliest well said francine since nothing escapes you you must admit marie that your conduct would excite the curiosity of a saint yesterday without a penny to-day your hands are full of gold at mortagne they give you the mail-coach which was pillaged and the driver killed with government troops to protect you and you are followed by a man whom i regard as your evil genius who corentin said the young lady accenting the words by two inflections of her voice expressive of contempt a sentiment which appeared in the gesture with which she waved her hand towards the writer listen francine she said do you remember petrio the monkey i taught to imitate danton yes mademoiselle well were you afraid of him he was chained and corentin is muzzled my dear we used to play with patrio by the hour said francine i know that but he always ended by serving us some bad trick so saying francine threw herself hastily back close to her mistress whose hands she caught and kissed in a coaxing way saying in a tone of deep affection you know what i mean marie but you will not answer me how can you after all that sadness which did so grieve me oh indeed it grieved me how can you in twenty-four hours change about and become so gay you who talked of suicide why have you changed i have a right to ask these questions of your soul it is mine my claim to it is before that of others for you will never be better loved than you are by me speak mademoiselle right francine don't you see all around you the secret of my good spirits look at the yellowing tufts of those distant tree-tops not one is like another as we look at them from this distance don't they seem like an old bit of tapestry see the hedges from behind which the chouan may spring upon us at any moment when i look at that gorse i fancy i can see the muzzles of their guns every time the road is shady under the trees i fancy i shall hear firing and then my heart beats and a new sensation comes over me it is neither the shuddering of fear nor an emotion of pleasure no it is better than either it is the stirring of everything within me it is life why shouldn't i be gay when a little excitement has dropped into my monotonous existence 
ah you are telling me nothing cruel girl holy virgin added francine raising her eyes in distress to heaven to whom will she confess herself if she denies the truth to me francine said the lady in a grave tone i can't explain to you my present enterprise it is horrible why do wrong when you know it to be wrong how can i help it i catch myself thinking as if i were fifty and acting as if i were still fifteen you have always been my better self my poor francine but in this affair i must stifle conscience and she added after a pause i cannot therefore how can you expect me to take a confessor as stern as you and she patted the girl's hand when did i ever blame your actions cried francine evil is so mixed with good in your nature yes saint anne of Auray, to whom i pray to save you will absolve you for all you do and marie am i not here beside you without so much as knowing where you go and she kissed her hands with effusion but replied marie you may yet desert me if your conscience hush hush mademoiselle cried francine with a hurt expression but surely you will tell me nothing said the young lady in a resolute voice only and i wish you to know it i hate this enterprise even more than i hate him whose gilded tongue induced me to undertake it i will be rank and own to you that i would never have yielded to their wishes if i had not foreseen in this ignoble farce a mingling of love and danger which tempted me i cannot bear to leave this empty world without at least attempting to gather the flowers that it owes me whether i perish in the attempt or not but remember for the honour of my memory that had i ever been a happy woman the sight of their great knife ready to fall upon my neck would not have driven me to accept a part in this tragedy for it is a tragedy but now she said with a gesture of disgust if it were countermanded i should instantly fling myself into the sartha it would not be destroying life for i have never lived oh saint anne of Auray, forgive her what are you so afraid of you know very well that the dull round of domestic life gives no opportunity for my passions that would be bad in most women i admit but my soul is made of a higher sensibility and can bear great tests i might have been perhaps a gentle being like you why why have i risen above or sunk beneath the level of my sex ah the wife of bonaparte is a happy woman yes i shall die young for i am gay as you say gay is this pleasure party where there is blood to drink as that poor danton used to say there there forget what i am saying it is the woman of fifty who speaks thank god the girl of fifteen is still within me the young country girl shuddered she alone knew the fiery impetuous nature of her mistress she alone was initiated into the mysteries of a soul rich with enthusiasm into the secret emotions of a being who up to this time had seen life pass her like a shadow she could not grasp eager as she was to do so after sowing broadcast with full hands and harvesting nothing this woman was still virgin in soul but irritated by a multitude of baffled desires weary of a struggle without an adversary she had reached in her despair to the point of preferring good to evil if it came in the form of enjoyment evil to good if it offered her some poetic emotion misery to mediocrity as something nobler and higher the gloomy and mysterious future of present death to a life without hopes or even without sufferings never in any heart was so much powder heaped ready for the spark never were so many riches for love to feed on 
no daughter of eve was ever moulded with a greater mixture of gold in her clay francine like an angel of earth watched over this being whose perfection she adored believing that she obeyed a celestial mandate in striving to bring that spirit back among the choir of seraphim whence it was banished for the sin of pride there is the clock-tower of alencon said the horseman riding up to the carriage i see it replied the young lady in a cold tone ah well he said turning away with all the signs of servile submission in spite of his disappointment go faster said the lady to the postillion there is no longer any danger go at a fast trot or even a gallop if you can we are almost into alencon as the carriage passed the commandant she called out to him in a sweet voice we will meet at the inn commandant come and see me yes yes growled the commandant the inn come and see me is that how you speak to an officer in command of the army and he shook his fist at the carriage which was now rolling rapidly along the road don't be vexed commandant she has got your rank as general up her sleeve said corentin laughing as he endeavoured to put his horse into a gallop to overtake the carriage i shan't let myself be fooled by any such folks as they said hulot to his two friends in a growling tone i'd rather throw my general's coat into that ditch than earn it out of a bed what are these birds after have you any idea either of you yes said merle i've an idea that that's the handsomest women i ever saw i think you're reading the riddle all wrong perhaps she's the wife of the first consul pooh the first consul's wife is old and this woman is young said hulot besides the order i received from the minister gives her name as mademoiselle de venuille she is a ci-devant don't i know em they all plied one trade before the revolution and any man could make himself a major or a general in double quick time all he had to do was to say dear heart to them now and then while each soldier opened his compasses as the commandant was wont to say the miserable vehicle which was then used as the mail-coach drew up before the inn of the trois morts in the middle of the main street of alencon the sound of the wheels brought the landlord to the door no one in alencon could have expected the arrival of the mail-coach at the trois morts for the murderous attack upon the coach at mortagne was already known and so many people followed it along the street that the two women anxious to escape the curiosity of the crowd ran quickly into the kitchen which forms the inevitable antechamber to all western inns the landlord was about to follow them after examining the coach when the postillion caught him by the arm attention citizen brutus he said there's an escort of the blues behind us but it is i who bring you these female citizens they'll pay like ci devant princesses therefore therefore we'll drink a glass of wine together presently my lad said the landlord after glancing about the kitchen blackened with smoke and noticing a table bloody from raw meat mademoiselle de venuille flew into the next room with the celerity of a bird for she shuddered at the sight and smell of the place and feared the inquisitive eyes of a dirty chef and a fat little woman who examined her attentively what are we to do wife said the landlord who the devil could have supposed we would have so many on our hands in these days before i serve her a decent breakfast that woman will get impatient stop an idea evidently she is a person of quality i propose to put her with the one we have upstairs what do you think when the landlord went to look for the new arrival he found only francine to whom he spoke in a low voice taking her to the farther end of the kitchen so as not to be overheard if the ladies wish he said to be served in private as i have no doubt they wish to do i have a very nice breakfast already for a lady and her son and i dare say wouldn't mind sharing it with you 
they are persons of condition he added mysteriously he had hardly said the words before he felt a tap on his back from the handle of a whip he turned hastily and saw behind him a short thick-set man who had noiselessly entered from a side-room an apparition which seemed to terrify the hostess the cook and the scullion the landlord turned pale when he saw the intruder who shook back the hair which concealed his forehead and eyes raised himself on the points of his toes to reach the other's ears and said to him in a whisper you know the cost of an imprudence or a betrayal and the colour of the money we pay it in we are generous in that coin he added a gesture which was like a horrible commentary to his words though the rotundity of the landlord prevented francine from seeing the stranger who stood behind him she caught certain words of his threatening speech and was thunderstruck at hearing the hoarse tones of a breton voice she sprang towards the man but he seeming to move with the agility of a wild animal had already darted through a side door which opened on the courtyard utterly amazed she ran to the window through its panes yellowed with smoke she caught sight of the stranger as he was about to enter the stable before doing so however he turned a pair of black eyes to the upper story of the inn and thence to the mail-coach in the yard as if to call some friend's attention to the vehicle in spite of his muffling goatskin and thanks to his movement which allowed her to see his face francine recognized the chouan marchater with his heavy whip she saw him indistinctly in the obscurity of the stable fling himself down on a pile of straw in a position which enabled him to keep an eye on all that happened at the inn marchater curled himself up in such a way that the clever spy at any distance far or near might have taken him for one of those huge dogs that dragged the hand-carts lying asleep with his muzzle on his paws the behaviour of the chouan proved to francine that he had not recognised her under the hazardous circumstances which she felt her mistress to be in she scarcely knew whether to regret or to rejoice in this unconsciousness but the mysterious connection between the landlord's offer not uncommon among innkeepers who can thus kill two birds with one stone and the chouan's threats piqued her curiosity she left the dirty window from which she could see the formless heap which she knew to be marchartere and returned to the landlord who was still standing in the attitude of a man who feels he has made a blunder and does not know how to get out of it the chouan's gesture had petrified the poor fellow no one in the west was ignorant of the cruel refinements of torture with which the chasseurs de rois punished those who were even suspected of indiscretion the landlord felt their knives already at his throat the cook looked with a shudder at the iron stove on which they often warmed chauffait the feet of those they suspected the fat landlady held a knife in one hand and a half-peeled potato in the other and gazed at her husband with a stupefied air even the scullion puzzled himself to know the reason of their speechless terror francine's curiosity was naturally excited by this silent scene the principal actor of which was visible to all though departed the girl was gratified at the evident power of the chouan and though by nature too simple and humble for the tricks of a lady's maid she was also far too anxious to penetrate the mystery not to profit by her advantages on this occasion mademoiselle accepts your proposal she said to the landlord who jumped as if suddenly awakened by her words what proposal he asked with genuine surprise what proposal asked corentin entering the kitchen what proposal asked mademoiselle de venouille returning to it what proposal asked the fourth individual on the lower step of the staircase who now sprang lightly into the kitchen why the breakfast with your persons of distinction replied francine impatiently 
distinction said the ringing and ironical voice of the person who had just come down the stairway my good fellow that strikes me as a very poor in joke but if it's the company of this young female citizen that you want to give us we should be fools to refuse it in my mother's absence i accept he added striking the astonished innkeeper on the shoulder the charming heedlessness of youth disguised the haughty insolence of the words which drew the attention of every one present to the newcomer the landlord at once assumed the countenance of pilate washing his hands of the blood of that just man he slid back two steps to reach his wife's ear and whispered you are witness if any harm comes of it that it is not my fault but anyhow he added in a voice that was lower still go and tell monsieur marchater what has happened the traveller who was a young man of medium height wore a dark blue coat and high black gaiters coming above the knee and over the breeches which were also a blue cloth this simple uniform without epaulets was that of the pupils of the ecole polytechnique beneath this plain attire mademoiselle de venouille could distinguish at a glance the elegant shape and nameless something that tells of natural nobility the face of the young man which was rather ordinary at first sight soon attracted the eye by the confirmation of certain features which revealed a soul capable of great things a bronze skin curly fair hair sparkling blue eyes a delicate nose motions full of ease all disclosed a life guided by noble sentiments and trained to the habit of command but the most characteristic signs of his nature were in the chin which was dented like that of bonaparte and in the lower lip which joined the upper one with a graceful curve like that of an acanthus leaf on the capital of a corinthian column nature had given to these two features of his face an irresistible charm this young man has singular distinction if he is really a republican thought mademoiselle de venouille to see all this at a glance to brighten at the thought of pleasing to bend her head softly and smile coquettishly and cast a soft look able to revive a heart that was dead to love to veil her long black eyes with lids whose curving lashes made shadows on her cheeks to choose the melodious tones of her voice and give a penetrating charm to the formal words monsieur we are very much obliged to you all this charming by-play took less time than it has taken to describe it after this mademoiselle de venouille addressing the landlord asked to be shown to a room saw the staircase and disappeared with francine leaving the stranger to discover whether her reply was intended as an acceptance or a refusal who is that woman asked the polytechnique student in an airy manner of the landlord who still stood motionless and bewildered that's the female citizen venille replied corentin sharply looking jealously at the questioner ah si devant what is she to you the stranger who was humming a revolutionary tune turned his head haughtily towards corentin the two young men looked at each other for a moment like cocks about to fight and the glance they exchanged gave birth to a hatred which lasted for ever the blue eye of the young soldier was as frank and honest as the green eye of the other man was false and malicious the manner of the one had native grandeur those of the other were insinuating one was eager in his advance the other deprecating one commanded respect the other sought it is the citizen du gois saint cyr here said a peasant entering the kitchen at that moment what do you want of him said the young man coming forward the peasant made a low bow and gave him a letter which the young cadet read and threw into the fire then he nodded his head and the man withdrew no doubt you come from paris citizen said corentin approaching the stranger with a certain ease of manner and a pliant affable air which seemed intolerable to the citizen duglois yes he replied shortly i suppose you have been graduated into some grade of the artillery 
no citizen into the navy how then you are going to brest said corentin interrogatively but the young sailor turned lightly on the heels of his shoes without deigning to reply and presently disappointed all the expectations which mademoiselle de vernoye had based on the charm of his appearance he applied himself to ordering his breakfast with the eagerness of a boy questioned the cook and the landlady about their receipts wondered at provincial customs like a parisian just out of his shell made as many objections as any fine lady and showed the more lack of mind and character because his face and manner had seemed to promise them corentin smiled with pity when he saw the face he made on tasting the best cider of normandy hugh he cried how can you swallow such stuff as that it is meat and drink both i don't wonder the republic distrusts a province where they knock their harvest trees with poles and shoot travellers from the ditches pray don't put such medicine as that on the table give us some good bordeaux white and red and above all do see if there is a good fire upstairs these country people are so backward in civilization he added alas he sighed there is but one paris in the world what a pity it is i can't transport it to see heavens spoil sauce he suddenly cried out to the cook what makes you put vinegar in that fricassee when you have lemons and madame he added you gave me such coarse sheets i couldn't close my eyes all night then he began to twirl a huge cane executing with a silly sort of care a variety of evolutions the greater or less precision and agility of which were considered proofs of a young man standing in the class of the incroyable so-called and it is with such dandies as that said corentin to the landlord confidentially watching his face that the republic expects to improve her navy that man said the young sailor to the landlady in a low voice is a spy of fauchet's he has police stamped on his face and i'll swear that spot he has got on his chin is paris mud well said a thief to catch just then a lady to whom the young sailor turned with every sign of outward respect entered the kitchen of the inn my dear mamma he said i am glad you have come i have recruited some guests in your absence guests he replied what folly it is mademoiselle de vernouille he said in a low voice she perished on the scaffold at the affair of Savernay. she went to mont to save her brother the prince de loudon returned his mother rather brusquely you are mistaken madame said corentin gently emphasizing the word madame there are two demoiselles the venuya all great houses as you know have several branches the lady surprised at this freedom drew back a few steps to examine the speaker she turned her black eyes upon him full of the keen sagacity so natural to women seeking apparently to discover in what interest he stepped forth to explain mademoiselle de venuya's birth corentin on the other hand who was studying the lady cautiously denied her in his own mind the joys of motherhood and gave her those of love he refused the possession of a son of twenty to a woman whose dazzling skin and arched eyebrows and lashes still unblemished were the objects of his admiration and whose abundant black hair parted on the forehead into simple bands brought out the youthfulness of an intelligent head the slight lines of the brow far from indicating age revealed young passions though the piercing eyes were somewhat veiled it was either from the fatigue of travelling or the too frequent expression of excitement corentin remarked that she was wrapped in a mantle of english material and that the shape of her hat foreign no doubt did not belong to any of the styles called greek which ruled the parisian fashions of the period corentin was one of those beings who are compelled by the bent of their natures to suspect evil rather than good and he instantly doubted the citizenship of the two travellers the lady who on her side had made her observations on the person of corentin with equal rapidity turned to her son with a significant look which may be faithfully translated into the words who is this queer man is he of our stripe
end of section four